I don't think I'm the best there ever was at hating Florida, but like if you're in a one game series and you need to win a game, I think you're putting me on the mound when it comes to hating Florida right now, currently. This is Chapel Belker, a podcast about football and also feelings. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And I'm Yara. And today we are here, back again from the dead. The proverbial wandering in the desert is over. We've returned. And we're here to preview the upcoming edition of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. We're here to to construct a world in which we are emotionally, physically, and spiritually ready for this game. We are going to be previewing this both from a qualitative and quantitative standpoint where we talk about our feelings, we talk some news, I play a game with them that is blatantly manipulative just for a bad joke, and then we get into actually <laughs> talking about football. Yara, if the people would like to support our podcast here at Chapel Bell Curve, what can they do? Great question. For as little as $1 a month, you can come hang out with us at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. We have a lot of fun here. You can join our Patreon exclusive community on Discord, where we talk about a lot of stuff, such as why we were gone for a hot minute, which involves ankles that were snatched, and also multiple kinds of strep. And you can donate upwards from there and get access to even more cool stuff. That must piss you off as an English teacher. No, it's okay. Anyway, how's UGA doing? What's the deal? What's going on? Can we talk about rankings now that we're a bye week over and uh, the rest of the world seems to have moved on past us? Yeah. So we are, I, I just want to say that the computers don't like UGA, Paul. UGA is down to 21st in our own personal CBCR2 poll. We are down to 8th in ESPN's FPI, but we're still up at 2nd in Bill Connolly's SP+. I suspect that our relatively recently at least sturdy special teams play has something to do with that high, a relatively higher ranking and also that i'm not sure that bill Connolly employs srs to the, the extent that cbcr2 does we are of course number one in all of the human polls i don't think we deserve that either but i do tend to think that we are we're definitely somewhere between 21st and first i'm not sure where but Something that I saw on on Reddit over the weekend was people talking about if the college football playoffs ranking came out right now, where would you put Georgia? Probably third or fourth. I mean, third, probably. I think I would probably go Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, and then either Washington or Alabama, depending on what you think about strength of schedule. And then Florida knowing... State. Florida State somewhere in there in that top five, knowing that with Michigan and Ohio State playing each other, that they're basically going to take care of each other. I think it's fine to have them ranked first and second. Ranked. Yeah, it's also worth mentioning that last year when the college football playoff rankings came out, Georgia was third. And, you know, we see how that went. Yara, what are your thoughts? Um, I agree. I think second, third, fourth, that vicinity. I don't think we deserve mm. to be first. And... I'm going to say something that we can segue into our next little segment. Um, Let's do it. I think Michigan should be, might might deserve that first place spot, you know, exempt from their recent, um, how do I say this nicely? (laughs) Do y'all want to say it nicely? Allegations? Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. 
can I can I try to just summarize this and then Yara and Justin can just go ham on it for however long Absolutely. you so desire? Michigan has been accused yes, please. apparently by the other 13 members of the Big Ten, which is hilarious, of stealing <laughs> signs. Now, for a little bit of background, I'm sure that everyone's been reading all the very good reporting from various sources on this. But in case that you have not, the way that it generally is considered to work in college football is that sign stealing is just an accepted thing when it happens during the game. Everybody steals everybody's signs during the game. It's just part of the game. However, mm-hmm. what Michigan will, is accused of... Will you back up for a second, though, Nathan? Yes. When you say stealing signs, what does that mean? Okay, so... Give us some further context. Because college football coaches like the advantage that they get from stealing signs, college football is the only level of football internationally where it is not... It not allowed for you to use electronics on the field to communicate your plays in. So high-level high school football, NFL football, CFL football, the coach has a headset channel that goes to the quarterback's ear, and he just says the play. The quarterback calls the play in the huddle or signals it out you know, at the line, but there's never a moment for anyone to intercept that play call unless you're the Patriots and you cheat for, mm-hmm. like, you know, physically right but in college football because that's not allowed they say that it's not allowed because of budget which i think is kind of bullshit if they wanted to they would all of these programs especially the power five level could do it and they just appreciate the advantage they get from stealing signs so because that's not legal in the ncaa because you can't have just like an earpiece in your quarterback's ear you have to somehow get the play in to the quarterback there are a lot of ways that people do this Paul Johnson, when he was at Georgia Tech, would literally walk out and tell the quarterback to play before the snap. That has become less feasible if you want to run tempo in the modern offense, right? So there's several ways that people signal in plays. There's hand gestures. There's number cards. There's flip cards. There's those big signs that have different pictures on them. Most of those signs tend to be decoys. The way it works is that there's a lot of noise on each sideline. So you will have multiple people signaling you'll have people yelling things you'll have people holding up signs and stuff but at any given time per half and even per quarter only one of the people doing the signaling is what's called hot and whoever's hot that's the actual signal and everything else is just a decoy and who is hot rotates depending on the situation so if you can figure out who's hot and then you look at what the play call is you can reverse engineer over the course of like a first half who what the signals are and if you're a defense it gives you like a huge advantage because you can get guys in the right place and if you're often you're an offense it gives you a huge advantage because you can reactively call against what they're going to do so if they're trying to disguise a blitz and you've stolen their signs and you know that they're going to blitz you can call a shot play over top to see if you can beat it anyway that's what stealing signals is in the accepted fashion there's no rules. There's no rule against stealing signs. It happens everywhere. Georgia does it. Michigan does it. Everybody does it. It's not a big deal. What Michigan is accused of doing is sending team, sending specific staff members and Michigan students to other teams' games to record their signals in person when they were not playing Michigan. Now, 
every team is forced by the NCAA to send tapes of their games to their opponents. And on the tapes that they send, people steal signals off of those all the time. But you are not allowed to scout in person per NCAA rules. And you're definitely not allowed to record other people's signals. This Well, it's not even that you're not allowed. It's just that's considered to be like that's what's beyond the pale. Because the idea, I think, is that if you're stealing someone's signs on the day and they're predictable enough that in the madness of a college football game you can figure out what their signs are, then they kind of have their signal. They, they deserve to have their signs stolen. But what Michigan is accused of doing is like an espionage operation, basically. So that brings us to Yara and Justin. (laughs) Take it away. Very bad espionage situation. Yes. Oh, Yara. I don't even know how we're going to do this necessarily, Yara. But I I just kind of want to. So I want to sort of present and decode like the stupidity of this operation and how deep it goes <laughs> is what I'm excited about. So I was telling people at dinner earlier, I enjoy making this show with my friends. It is difficult year to year to talk about the same game for eight episodes, essentially. So when things like this happen, I get so excited. I'm so excited to talk about the buffoonery the bullshittery, the madness that is the situation. But just as Nathan's saying, this stuff happens all the time. Like, you have to assume that every team is doing this. That's okay. And when you're able to accept that, it makes this whole situation so much better because of, like, the the almost, like, veep-level stupidity going on um, that was allowed to happen. And so, Yara... Will you share with the folks, those that might not know, who is this man that has been accused of being at the center of this entire <laughs> this entire espionage uh, situation? Okay, so let me introduce you guys, or reintroduce, I guess, to Connor Stallions, which we kind of <laughs> talked about this earlier. I think it sounds like a porn star name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, like, Incredibly Stallions. pornographic. Mm-hmm. Multiples. Um... He he hyper fixated too hard. He girl bossed too hard. And unfortunately, he fucked around and found out. Starting oh, yeah. with, I actually want to start with um, the Venmo transactions that were found yes. on his account, which like, I don't do I don't I don't do shady shit. I just want to like preface with that. I abide. The, I abide by the law because I'm scared mm-hmm. of the law. But, like, if I were to do shady shit, the first thing I would do is put my Venmo on private. There's an option for that. It's very visible. It's so easy. How are you going to Venmo your... How are you going to Venmo other people with, like, the... What did he... What uh, emoji did he use? It wasn't an emoji. It was... So, for some context for everybody, uh, Connor Stallions traveled to more than 20 football games. Um, traveled to all but one Big Ten game and then several of the potential college football playoff contenders games as well. And what Yara's talking about is the the Venmo transaction from another staffer to Connor Stallions, who is a, a staff member for the Michigan football team that um, you can look this up yourself. His salary is $55,000. He supposedly traveled to more than 20 football games um, on his own dime is what they're trying to say. But the Venmo transaction 
was from another staffer to Connor Stallions, and it was on the day of the Ohio State and Georgia game last year, and it just said GA. Uh, what could that be, Connor? <laughs> it's most likely the Georgia game, I would assume, which wasn't I it, appreciate. Wasn't that, that transaction done the day before the Georgia game as well? Like the maybe it was the day before. It was right around there. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate. But they expected Georgia to win, I assume. Maybe that's why they said that. Word. Um, there is one thing that is pretty fantastic. Kirby Smart was asked during a press conference recently um, about Michigan ceiling signs during the college football semi-playoffs in 2021, and Kirby replied, nothing about that game is anything that, you know, I don't remember anything about that game that would make me think that they were stealing signs, which is Kirby's way of saying it didn't really change anything. <laughs> they may have been stealing signs, but didn't didn't matter. We still won. But uh, I just love all the little bits and pieces of the story as it's unfolded. Like, for instance, um, so Connor Stallions, we, Yara and I are both apparently Stallion sympathizers. Um, I think that he's being painted as a villain in the story. He's not the villain. Our guy just hyperfixated too hard, as you said. Um, <laughs> he's quoted as saying, so all this came out because there was a text message between him and, a, and somebody else from another team who wanted to work on a college football team. Connor Stallions is 28. He's been working at Michigan uh, since 2015 in, in various capacities. And he was a volunteer assistant first, and then he worked his way up to whatever position he is now, which is the guy who stands next to the coach and tells him what's about to happen. Um, there is a lot of video footage of him standing next to various coaches and telling them what is about to happen, and then you see players react to it. Um, for instance, there are videos of Connor leaning over to Jim Harbaugh and saying something. And then him saying something to the sideline and all the sideline like pointing up like there's going to be a pass play, which I think is hilarious. Um, It does not get more obvious than that. But past that, um, all this came out because of this crazy text thread about him talking about how proud he was of like the grind that he has been on since 2015. He has this like 500 to 600 page document that he calls the Michigan manifesto because he truly believed that one day he would be running the Michigan football program, which, you know, good for him. You know, I respect that. Sometimes it is all you can do in this world to be overwhelmingly delusional. Being absolutely is the Salulu. That's and I, right. I respect that. I respect that. Also, um, a couple of other funny things I think about this is that um, the previous offensive coordinator, Gaddis, from Michigan for 2019 to 2021, um, in 2021, he was given the Broyles Award, Top Assistant Coach Award, which is as, as good as it gets. He left for Miami, and without his whole system, he immediately failed, <laughs> was fired after exactly one season. Um, more, you know, circumstantial evidence that would point towards this being the situation that Michigan has something that they've created that only works in Michigan is that Jim Harbaugh is now one in six in bowl games, which I believe is very important to consider because you don't tend to know who it is you're playing in bowl games ahead of time enough to prepare by traveling to their games and recording their signs. (laughs) And so that would point to just just saying that might be a situation that might be that might be part of this, but um, yeah. the The big thing is, if anybody if anybody gets in trouble, it'll probably be this guy. And the reason being is that the only rule that's been broken is that 
you cannot scout a game of the team that you'll be playing that season. You cannot scout them in person. And there is tons of evidence to suggest that he did that. Uh, but just as there is no rule to say that a dog can't play football, there is no rule that says you cannot steal signals and signs. So that is, I guess, the the messy package that we have now gift-wrapped for you, Nathan, and you, dear listener. I hope that you've enjoyed this. Um, and I look forward to seeing what comes afterwards. Can I give a... I'm going to give you, for the listeners out there who might be Michigan fans, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, yeah. but... I guess you're probably stealing signs from a UGA podcast because you might play UGA in <laughs> the don't copy this college podcast. football playoffs. Yeah, it. yeah, you should. It it's not going to be successful because this podcast is stupid. Anyway, here's but as everyone knows, most Michigan fans are MAGA uh, World War II dads, and if they're not one, then. If they're not both, they're one or the other. I would say even more than MAGA World War II fans, a lot of them are just World War II dads. So I'm going to give a historical mm -hmm. analogy for the Michigan fans out there currently electronically taping and stealing our signs, which is this reminds me of what was called the business plot or the, or the White House push, which was an attempt to overthrow FDR in 1933 led by very a few rich conservative businessmen who decided that FDR's relatively liberal-leaning policies weren't good for them and that they wanted to overthrow them using a fascist veterans organization. Yeah, this really happened. Anyway, so, but the reason that this is an apt analogy is that these geniuses of business might, they went to a guy named Smedley Butler, who was a very famous uh, World War I veteran and I believe Marine Corps general at the time. And they asked him to lead this coup of the American government, even though he was an avid FDR supporter and also had come out several times saying that he thought capitalism was the biggest evil that threatened America more than fascism. They asked the guy who was explicitly anti-capitalist who had worked on FDR's campaign if he would lead a fascist veterans organization to overthrow the American president. That's the level of like criminal genius going on here with this. Like it is <laughs> it is like the dumbest shit in the world. It's like there's there've been all these movies made about the failed coups that tried to assassinate Hitler. And you get the same feeling in all of them where you're like, oh, I feel for these people. I hope they do it, but they just seem real dumb and everything seems doomed to failure. That's how I feel about this. And I know that Michigan mm. fans only speak the language of World War II, so I just wanted to put it in terms that they understood. <laughs> I, I like that. Thank you. Let's talk about Florida. That's okay. what we're here to do, right? Let's talk about them. Yeah. So a couple of news notes for the Florida game. I have two that are confirmed, I feel like, pretty well. And then I have one that is just a, a fever dream. It is a it is a fantasy. It is just something that I have heard in multiple places. So the two that are actually newsworthy are that it seems like Amarius Mims and Xavier Truss are, uh, I would say, maybes for this weekend. I have a source. I never have sources, but I do have a source who I think would know. And I'm, I haven't like double confirmed this. I'm just telling you, I think based on people that I've talked to that Amarius Mims is good to go. 
That is what I've heard. Hooray! That would be huge for us. It looks like that Roderick Robinson is good to go. He's apparently been practicing full go according, according to Kirby. And that would be really big for us because he is valuable running back depth that we desperately need. Now, here's the fever dream one. And it doesn't really apply to the Florida game. But I just am telling you, this is more like message board rumblings. This isn't just, uh, this isn't even I think. This is just I have heard. There are multiple people on message boards, some of them that are actual reporters, some of them that are just crazy message board people that are saying that Brock Bowers is like raring to go. He wants to come back in four weeks and that he might be ready for the Ole Miss game. I'm not not saying that that's true, but like if it is, we, yeah, we'd be real happy about that to get him back for Ole Miss. You're saying there's a chance. I am saying there's a chance. Yes. I don't want to get your hopes up. I'm just saying that what dreams may come, there's a whisper on the air here in Athens, and that is what that's what the <laughs> birds are saying. Nathan, bestie, it's too late. My hopes are not only up, but I am full-on delusional about Brock Bowers being back <laughs> for my last game as a student right now. Being Delulu is the salute is indeed the salute okay so it's time for everyone's favorite segment that i talk during which is the history of florida football <laughs> so i was not i had a joke in here about like i have one sentence to say about this and now i don't give a fuck but i actually do now because i need to teach you yara why we don't like this team yeah i just i i don't know i i I, I said this before we started recording, so I'm just going to say it real quickly. Guys, I just don't, I really don't get it. I don't get why we hate Florida. Like, I'm an ally in our Florida hatred, and I will always root against Florida. If anybody ever goes to Florida, I'm going to give them a side eye, because why would you want to go to that swamp land? I don't even know where Gainesville is on a map, and I don't care to know. All I know is that it's in a, in a swamp, etc. right? But, like... I just don't have that kind of hatred in my heart for Florida because we just keep beating them. Like, yeah, they're orange and blue and stupid, but I really just hate... I Right now, as a newish college football fan, I hate Bama, I think. That's, that's the word I would use to describe how I feel about Alabama. And maybe... Maybe Ohio State a little bit, just because I think they're weird. But like just weird guys. And Auburn, actually, I do despise Auburn because they took my water bottle two years ago when I was in Red Cuts, and that's it. But like, I just don't hate Florida like that. I don't hate them the way that I hate Auburn and Alabama. So please teach me because I'm ready to learn. Yeah, it's okay. Take I'm us not to school, a, Nathan. It, everybody, it, it's someone's first comic book. Every comic book, so that's okay. All right, let's go back to 1966 and a man named Stephen Orr Spurrier. So throughout the beginning of Florida's history as a college football program, they were bad. They were not just bad. They were like bad, but bad, bad, bad for a long time. (laughs) They were sort of a case study in ineptitude basically all the way through other than a couple of seasons from their initial games played in the early 1900s all the way through the 1990s now there were some highlights 
Steven Spurrier was the quarterback and place kicker for the University of Florida in the 60s. And in 1966, he won the Heisman. Now, pretty famously, Steve Spurrier hates Georgia because at in his Heisman season, even he never beat Georgia. He at the time in the 60s, Georgia was pretty good. And they just like pretty routinely would beat the crap out of Florida, even when Florida had the Heisman winner. So that's background. So Florida kind of goes through the the wilderness for a long time. And then in 1991, they hire Steve Spurrier, the native son, to be their coach. Now, Steve Spurrier is an amazing football coach. He's one of the first offensive innovators of the modern era. And in the birth of the new SEC and the SEC championship, he ushers in a golden age of Florida football. He was... He he ran what was called the run and shoot. Some people called it the fun and shoot. He ran this incredibly explosive offense that culminated in a national title and a Heisman from their national title quarterback, Danny Warfel. So during this time, Steve Spurrier, who is famously pretty quick with a joke, went out of his way to exacerbate and anger UGA fans, which in some ways I respect, but in other ways is really infuriating. He pretty famously, there was a year in 1995 when they played the Florida-Georgia game in Georgia uh, for, I think, because the Gator Bowl was getting renovated at the time where they play it now. And he scored, he went for it a couple of times on fourth down in the fourth quarter up big to score 50 points because he said that no one had ever scored 50 on Georgia in Sanford Stadium. And so he wanted to be the first to do it. So he is like a classic wrestling heel for UGA. So we'll start there. Flor- they, there's like Hating a Spurrier. Yeah, there's like a kind of weird, not love hate, but like hate hate relationship between Florida and or Georgia and Steve Spurrier because he's constantly nettles us. Like literally three hours ago, he went on a radio station and said that he thought that Florida was going to beat Georgia like today, right now. And he's been a thorn in the side <laughs> of. Georgia from 1966 to today. That's beef. Like, all yes. beef. Yes. Multi chapter beef. Respect the game. Goddamn. Villain yeah. origin story type. This is beef. how much he hates Georgia. After he left Florida, he kind of bounced around for a while. And then he ended up coming back and being South Carolina's coach. And in his time as the coach at South Carolina, he went out of his way to just like talk mad shit about Georgia. Like this man, his hatred for Georgia transcends universities. So that's that's where we are. Florida wins a couple of national titles, and in the time starting in the nineties, Georgia is just snake bit against Florida. I cannot express to you, like J- Florida probably cost Georgia at least two shots at a national title in the B- in the early Mark Richt era. Yes, Mark Rick's a couple of Mark Rick's worst or best teams basically had their season and their chances at the CF or not the CFC, the BCS ruined by Florida. And in the time between 1991, even after Spurrier leaves Florida up into the urban Meyer era, Georgia just loses to Florida all the time. Sometimes they lose big. Sometimes they lose close. They lose on trick plays. They lose on fake play, like, like fake passes. They lose on fake punts. They lose on 
attempted trick plays that don't work that they ran. They lose on, they lose on refing controversies. They lose in overtime. Basically, Georgia lost to Florida in the 30 years preceding the Kirby Smart era in every way that you can lose a football game. And that was before Urban Meyer moves from Utah to be the coach of the Florida Gators. Now, Urban Meyer, horrible human, good football coach, famously recruits Tim Tebow and goes on another run where he wins two more national titles. In this time, during the winning of those two national titles, you get the 2007-2008 Florida-Georgia games, or Georgia-Florida games. During this time period, for the first time in a long time in 2007, Georgia beat Florida. So on the first touchdown, uh, and I was at this game, it was actually really cool. On the first touchdown of the game that Georgia scored, they all ran out onto the field and celebrated. It was sort of their way of saying that they were like retaking back the rivalry, right? They end up winning by like Ding 17 dong. points or something. The next year, Florida beats Georgia like 52 to nothing, never takes a knee, and calls two timeouts in the fourth quarter with like 20 seconds left just so that Tim Tebow can run around and do the gator chomp to the Georgia stands. Oh my God, wait. What the fuck? Yeah, so this was Urban Meyer. Then on top of that, I mean, we're not even getting we're not even getting into my personal beef with Florida. That's just like the actual history, the things that happen. So why do we hate Florida? Wait, wait, wait. Can we get into your personal beef with Florida? Only if you want to talk about it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think that the Tim Tebow era of Florida football represents the worst things about Southern football, which is a a a veneer of Christian theology applied by sometimes well-meaning believers that covered up a dark, morally corrupt cesspool of a program. And I think that the problem is not that Florida under Urban Meyer was morally corrupt. The problem, because like most football programs are morally corrupt. I'm not saying that anybody's better than anybody else. The problem is when you shellack a code of Jesus on something and act like you're better than everybody else. For instance, Tim Tebow, famous Christian, circumciser of Filipino boys, in his 2008 uh, season, like, you know, they win the national title. He's the, be the best player in the nation. He has, like, Bible verses under his, ear, under his eyes the whole time. I believe that he believes all of that, by the way. I think he's a true believer. I got really yeah. no problem with him personally. But in that season, when they were being sort of publicly led by this guy who was a, like out there Christian talking about doing things the right way and working hard, which he believed, 41 of his teammates were arrested during or after that season. Two of his teammates from that 2008 title team are in jail for murder. Well, one of them's dead, but were convicted of murder. Did you not know this? No. Yeah, you probably heard their Who names. Who the fuck actually. is in for pause? I only knew about Tim Tebow in passing. Like, I think that he's okay. I think he's funny, and You've I know he Aaron went Hernandez, to Florida. Though, right? Yeah, the problem is not Tim Tebow. Aaron Hernandez is sort of like the case study for the problem with Urban Meyer's Florida football team. Aaron Hernandez, admittedly, had a lot of mental health problems. Probably shouldn't have been playing college football at all. Certainly shouldn't have been taking hits to the head in, in football because of his mental health issues. This man was basically violent and at times uncontrollable his entire college career. 
And again, I'm not trying to use any racist language or demonize him because of his mental health problems, but that's just like the truth of what he was, right? So he mm -hmm. goes to New England and he ends up getting in an argument with something, someone over something and he kills them. He, like, just to be clear, and I, I, just like to make sure you have the history correct, Aaron Hernandez was drafted the year before Robert Gronkowski, and for the first few years of their career, Aaron Hernandez was considered to be a better tight end than Rob Gronkowski. Like, he was supposed oh to be God. the truth. He ends up in prison, and very unfortunately, he took his own life. The point that I'm oh. trying to make about this is not to make fun of Aaron Hernandez, who I think is a very sad story and has a lot to say about the way that we deal with mental health when it comes to athletes. The point I'm trying to make about this is that, like, this was a team that was like on top of the world and like constantly put up front their all American Jesus loving quarterback while at the same time supporting a coach who did some pretty heinous shit and allowed some pretty heinous shit to go on. So, yeah, that's why we hate Florida or that's why I hate Florida. And on top of that, that will be finished my first, my last thing. And then we can go on to mascot history. We use the word hate a lot in college football. We use a lot of words that are coded to warfare in a way that makes me a little uncomfortable and icky, right? And I do this too. I, I'm very much, I'm very much part of the problem here. So, you know, like for instance, the phrase hate week, do you know, have you heard someone say hate week? That's actually from 1984. Mm -hmm. And in 1984, it is a week leading up to a period of war in a despotic state where the sort of propaganda machine makes the citizens of the despotic state like be okay with the war happening. So I don't want to say that I hate Florida. I don't want to use any violent, you know, imagery or violent language. So I will just say this. The road to self-improvement is a rocky one. And the road to self-discovery is narrow, I think. And everyone in their path needs an, an oppositional force to put roadblocks in front of them to really achieve greatness. And I believe that sort of in the Commedia dell'arte of college football, that Florida is that for Georgia. Florida is the bully on their path to greatness. They, they're, they're, they are the thing that makes the road to greatness narrow, that makes the path narrow. So I don't necessarily hate them. They are a necessary starting point for our two national titles. The inciting sort of incident for everything that we do is beating Florida. I, If they didn't exist, we would have to invent them, I think. You know what I'm saying? I don't hate <laughs> Florida individually. I don't hate Florida fans personally. I, but I do think that Florida is to me what the boogeyman is to like your five-year-old brother. Right. It's like Florida is the thing that goes bump in the night. And for us to complete our heroic journey, a la Joseph Campbell, we have to slay this monster. And the fact that they are often really annoying hypocrites just makes it even nicer. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I, I feel like I can start my journey to hating Florida more efficiently and better educated because you don't have that. to hate them personally but you should hate the idea of them you should hate what they represent you know what i mean like 
Like you don't have to beat anybody up. You don't have to be mean to anybody or violent to anybody, but you can look at them and think about how the world would be better if all the people at Florida were doing something else than being at the University of Florida. That's, you know, that, that's, that's what you're going for. <laughs> anyway. I think I can get there. Thank you. Let's talk about mascot history. What a, just an art form, Nathan. Thank you. Let's talk about mascot history. So, Let's talk about mascot history. The history of the gator mascot at Florida is actually pretty funny. And not even in a ha-ha, we hate Florida way. It's actually just funny. So in 1908, Mm -hmm. because there were no rules in college football back then at all, in 1908, (laughs) there was a guy who was a Gainesville native and Florida grad named Austin Miller who went to go get his law degree at the University of Virginia in, in, in Charlottesville. So his dad comes up to the University of Virginia and is just like hanging out in Charlottesville. And in Charlottesville, there's this store that makes pennants and banners and like buttons and stuff uh, for college football teams. And those were at the time, by the way, that was like college football swag, right? So they have this place that makes like bespoke buttons. So he got he goes to this place called the Michi Company and he says basically hey, I want you to make buttons for our college football team back in Gainesville. And the guys at the Michi company were like, oh, okay, what's your mascot? And they showed like, oh, here's the Princeton Tiger. Here's the Yale Bulldog. You know, here's like the Harvard Crimson. Here's how they look. And he was like, huh, well, we don't have one. But alligators are native to, to Florida. And that's literally how Florida became the mascot of Florida. And in fact, or how the Gator became the mascot of Florida. And in fact, the guy at this company who was like making pennants and buttons, he didn't know what an alligator looked like. So they had to go to the University of Virginia uh, library and find like a a engraving of an alligator to do their first mascot. And I have actually provided a picture of a timeline of the mascots through the years here. And if you look at the very first one, (laughs) you can very much tell that it was drawn by someone who had never seen an alligator before. Like it just doesn't oh look God, like the incredible. first two or three don't look like alligators, and and it, fast like forward a, like sixty years, yeah. There's one that doesn't look like an amphibian. It doesn't even look like a reptile at all. <laughs> the nineteen sixty three one, I I don't even know what that is. It kind of looks yeah. like Snoopy. It does look like yeah. Snoopy. It's got like a like a weird Calvin and Hobbes feel to it almost. Yeah, they adopt pleasant. Yeah, kind of un- uncomfortably pleasant, like too happy. So they adopt uh-huh. the mascot officially in 1911, and their first live mascot was in 1957. They do not, I believe, have a live Albert the Alligator anymore, but for a while they did. They also have a, had a robotic motorized mascot that was basically just like, having done a little more research since we talked about it, by the way, I found out that it was basically just like a parade float basically like it was like a golf cart with a big metal alligator on top of it that they could move parts of it and we just heard a story from one of our uh, very good patrons jonathan ashley about something that happened with the redcoats in regards to this golf cart mascot but if you want to hear more you should get on the discord anyway albert the alligator is their mascot albert the alligator is uncomfortably reptile skinned for a while like he is uncanny valley realistic alligator for a long time. Like, like the first few suits I looked up, by the way, were made out of either vinyl or uh, spandex. That's why they're so shiny. I don't like that at all. So oh, now, okay, 
Hmm. Now they have two mascots, Alberta and Albert the Alligator. And they have a history of making Alberta the Alligator in their logos look what I would describe as uncomfortably sexualized. Like, why does she need to be like that? There's some of her like making kissy lips. And then there's a couple of mascots where she's like looking over her shoulder with her butt sticked out, her big gator butt. Anyway, so (laughs) that's the history of Albert and Alberta, who I assume are in a gator butt. It seems to be that the current fiction is that Albert and Alberta are in a monogamous relationship, which I think is basically for two mascots that are representing the state of Florida, a real crime. Like, why not get them involved in I mean, like a, a polycule or something? Of all the places in the country, Florida is pretty heteronormative. If I had to pick one to That's have true. a couple That's true. of strange, uh, yeah, anthropomorphic. I guess if we were going to be accurate to the state of Florida, we would make them have like a huge falling out in the middle of the game because Albert had cheated on her with like the golf cart girl from the local uh, golf course. <laughs> anyway. Damn. <laughs> Let's move on. Here's our game, Notable Nemeses, that we play every week Hooray! because oh. I won't stop doing it. So this time, our first round, as always, is alumni. So I'm going to give you five alumni of these. Uh, no, how many am I going to give you? Five. Yeah. Of these five people, three of them went to Florida. All right. Okay. All right. First off, we have Khalid, good. Khalid bin Mohammed Al-Agnari. He was the former Ministry of Higher Ed- Education for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Number Whoa. two. Oh, that's like my second cousin. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't even want you to say that because I don't want people to think that I'm racist because you said that on a recording I was on. You can cut that. Yeah. You can Yo, cut that. You know, Khalid. <laughs> Are you trying to get us canceled? Anyway. Well, what's going to be good is in the next one, Yara can do the same thing back. Go ahead. Anyway, next up, Bob Vila, the guy from the Home Improvement Shows. I believe he was what? This old house? Yara, your turn. (laughs) Y'all know Bob Vila? (laughs) Exactly. There you go. Perfect. See, you get it. Oh, my other cousin. We all get it. We're all on the same page. Bob Vila, my well-known Home Improvement cousin. There it is. You just have a big family. Anyway, he was known for this old house. <laughs> he is like the Mr. Rogers of home improvement shows. Very sweet guy. He's Next adorable. up, Tom Petty, Voice of the Nation, American poet, famed guitar player and songwriter who wrote two or three of the songs most likely to make me cry, including Wildflowers. Ugh. That, that song makes me ball. <laughs> anyway. Next up, total 180, Max Stepanovich, who was a lobbyist. Uh, and Republican political operative in Florida who led the 2000 Florida recount uh, movement that led to George Bush winning the presidency instead of Al Gore. Next oh, up, okay, Danny Rowling, the serial killer known as the Gainesville Ripper, who killed 15 students at the University of Florida in the 80s. Two of those people did not go to Florida. Huh. Two of these people Wait. did not go to Florida. Okay. Let me ask some follow-up questions because I don't know who like half these people are. Sure. Who's Bob Vila again? Bob Vila is like a famous home improvement. Okay, back up. You're too young to know about this. Before there were reality TV shows, 
<laughs> a very like popular form of television entertainment was what was called the home improvement show where like handymen would do like here's how you fix stuff around your house here's how you do carpentry and stuff so famously Bob Vila had a show called This Old House where he would go around this like very old like fully restored like 1800s house that he owned and just show you how to fix the banister when it's creaky or like we're going to reinstall this light soffit or whatever. It's very soothing. Before YouTube as well. Yeah. Any other follow-up okay. questions? Do you know who Tom Petty is? Um, no. No, this is great. You're You've one of the lucky... you probably heard Tom Petty's music. You're one of the lucky 10,000. Tom Petty is one of the best American songwriters in ever. He's amazing. I'm going to send you so many links later on. Okay. I love new music. Or new poetry. I, I mean, know. yeah, he is. Well, I mean, he's like a songwriter, but yeah, I believe he's a he's a poet in his own sense. All right. So, who did not go to Florida? I okay, Mac Stippen Stippen not that election was held before I was born, but I feel like he went to Florida. Yeah, and I feel there's like he no went to way well. that you would put Khaled in there if he didn't go to Florida. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they had to get their Ministry of Higher Education somewhere. It had to be I the think, USA. So wait, that was I a think gator. That, okay, so let's let's metagame for just a moment. Nathan usually has a theme with each of these, and Nathan, what he's been talking about with the history of Florida is that the theme here, the English teacher theme, was that they want you to see all of this. It's like a sleight of hand situation. You know, they want you to see all the cool things they're doing that are socially acceptable while all these other wretched, shitty things are going on behind closed doors. And so that being said, with this metagame sort of uh, speculation, I think that anybody who has probably committed a crime of these five people <laughs> is probably a Florida alumni. If I had really? to guess. I was going with the opposite. I feel like I they're not Florida people. Like they're so, they're Florida people, but they're not the University of Florida alumni. That's fair. But if I'm correct, I would say you said three of these people went to Florida? Uh yes, three of the five went to Florida. So the two that didn't go Oh, that's fair. Okay. Okay. So damn it. So the three that did go then were Danny Rowling, Max Stepanovich. And of those three people, I don't think Tom Petty committed any crimes that are notable. I don't know what Bob Vila did if he did. And I don't want to throw the minister of higher ed from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia into the same, like, (laughs) uh, just assume that he did something bad. But I, I'll just say that for the sake of pushing the All right, game so on. so just to be one, clear five. you think that one four and five did go to florida yes got it okay yara okay i think Khaled went to florida i shouldn't add the, the the minister of higher education i don't know if i'm allowed to say to talk to him by his first name but i don't even know if anybody from saudi arabia is listening to this probably not but <laughs> I think the Minister of Higher Education in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia went to Florida. That just feels correct in my bones. Um, Bob, are Florida people big on home improvement? My ex was from Florida. We hate him. I think 
that he went to Florida. Um, I feel like Tom Petty didn't go to Florida because it sounds like you really fuck with him, Nathan. And I feel like you wouldn't fuck with people that go to Florida. <laughs> Not on that level. Okay. I love the metagaming, yeah. <laughs> and so both of these people, I really don't know anything about the 2000 Florida recount. I know that it happened, but that was before I was born and therefore not voting. Therefore it didn't happen. Uh, yeah. It, it isn't real to me. So we have a lobbyist that led the 2000 Florida recount and a literal serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's think about this. Um, yeah. The Gainesville Ripper. It's cool. It's cool as hell. Mm. I'm tapping into my like spiritual knowledge. No, it's it's the lobbyist because Florida is a good educational school. I think they ranked higher than us in like public universities. Mm-hmm. So they are a great it education makes program sense. As well. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that the smart person goes to Florida and the serial killer, although known as the Gainesville Ripper, did not go to Florida. Maybe he just happened to murder people. So you're saying that the serial killer Thanks. and Tom Petty did not go to Florida. Yeah. Dude. Sorry to group them together. You, that feels mean. You are now like four for four on these games. Damn it. Oh my God, really? Oh, you're going to have to sign Tom, Tom Petty. Oh, really? Tom Petty did not go to college. He's from Gainesville, and he mentions 441, okay. which goes through both Athens, Gainesville, and Tennessee, by the way, or in Knoxville. He mentions 441 in one of his, his very famous songs, but he didn't go to college. And the serial killer, from what I could tell, also didn't go to college. He was from Louisiana. But yeah, the other three did. Hooray! So, yes! here's another game. Round two. And I already kind of spoiled one of these, so I'm going to take it off. Crimes committed by football players while Urban Meyer was the head coach. I'm going to list some crimes. <laughs> you tell me which ones were not committed by the University of Florida football team while Urban Meyer was the head coach. Okay. Ahem. Can I say all of them? Theft of a teammate's laptop. Credit card fraud. Separate from credit card fraud, wire fraud, or just general bank fraud. Waving a loaded AK-47 at a crowded nightclub. Emerging from an alley on a scooter. Sending an ex-girlfriend the text, time to die. Cashing, Cashing the same check at multiple Golden Pantry gas stations on the same day. I take a personal offense. Is it a crime to emerge from an alley on a scooter? Because Depends in that case, you do it, several you know? UGA athletes need to be <laughs> held responsible. Yeah, they be right. going on their little scooters. So two of those crimes of were those not crimes committed did. by the University of Florida football team while Urban Meyer was there. And in fact, all of them that were committed were committed by players who were on the 2008 national title team of Florida. Oh, my God. I think the dude. OK, I think too hard about these. I think that's the problem. Mm-hmm. But, the United States already had a lot. Well, I don't really know this for a fact, but the United States probably already had a lot of issues in 2008. Like fair, the recession. Oh, yeah. Fair, yes. Why was the why, why were they committing so many crimes on top of that? Wasn't everybody like broke 
How do y'all do hard. this? <laughs> I think if I had to guess two, just follow my gut. Theft of a teammate's laptop and wire fraud. Okay. Um, Yara. You, the first one was a yes in our last round. So I think the first one is going to be a no on this round. I agree with you, Justin. And, uh -huh. um, I mean, I'm 21 and I don't know what wire fraud is. So I'm assuming that the, the 2008 <laughs> Florida team also didn't know what wire fraud is. I know it. Okay, my bad. Maybe they know what wires were. I don't. So maybe it's emerging from an alley. No, that's too funny. That's real. I don't know how that's illegal, but maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's cashing the nah. maybe it's cashing the same check at multiple Golden Pantry gas stations on the same day, and it's like a different a different gas station. That's the kicker. Those are my answers. All right. So you think that the two that weren't committed were cashing a check at the same time or the same the same check at multiple golden pantries and then what what else did you say was not the crime theft of a teammate's laptop okay the answer was you got one of two yara emerging from an alley right. on a scooter and cashing the same check at multiple times at golden pantry stations on the same day were actually crimes committed by Damn. uga players while mark richt was the head coach I knew it was going to be UGA players. I knew it. How do you, why is emerging from an alley on a scooter illegal? I don't know. Like it, This, uh, I'm going to try to make sure that I get, I cannot remember who it was because this was a while ago. But basically a UGA player, there was a string of like very ticky tacky arrest of UGA players when Mark Rich was the coach. And he basically got fined because he came out of an alley without fully stopping in downtown, I think. And then the cashing the same check at multiple golden pantries, I'm pretty sure that was Nick Marshall, who was a cornerback at UGA who transferred to Auburn after he got kicked off the team and then was their national title uh, appearing quarterback in 2012-2013. Anyway, Nick Marshall was the guy who threw the prayer at Jordan Hare the very famous pass where we messed it up and then they won in the last second at Auburn. Funnily enough, theft of a teammate's laptop was a real crime at Florida that was committed by Cam Newton. Cam Newton was a quarterback on Florida's roster until he got he got kicked off of Florida's team because he stole a teammate's laptop and then when someone asked about it, he threw it in a dumpster outside of his dorm. Cam, buddy, if you're going to dispose of evidence, do it far away. I don't understand. Okay, let's get quantitative before I overthink about the crimes committed in 2008 when I was six. That's depressing. Um, Do you yeah, okay. Well, with that <laughs> dose of reality, we just got hit in the face with a big ice-cold bucket of mortality. <laughs> let's move on to the quantitative preview. That's what I do. So I'm going to tell you about this Florida team. Then you're going to tell me what you want to see. And then we're going to make some predictions. <laughs> so players to know. Graham Mertz is a transfer quarterback and a former five-star who played at Wisconsin for his first three seasons of college football. At Wisconsin, he was sort of like the, the savior quarterback. He was the first five-star quarterback to ever commit to Wisconsin. He didn't really pan out there. He never lived up to his billing. So far this year, he's been quite good. He has a 76% uh, 
completion, 76% completion percentage, and 85% adjusted completion percentage, 12 touchdowns, and two interceptions. In particular, over the last couple of days, you've kind of seen the vision of what I think they want Graham Mertz to be. And we'll get into the vision of what this team is trying to do under Billy Napier in a second. Another, I guess the other big offensive threat that we need to look out for from Florida is Ricky Pearsall, who is the sort of like, I would say that Ricky Pearsall is basically like the annoying, annoyingly athletic version of Lad McConkey. He is like the guy who doesn't look like he should be mossing your other team. He's he's taller than Lad McConkey, but he doesn't look like he should be mossing your team. And then he does it still, even though he's like a six one white guy that weighs one hundred and ninety pounds. He's a really good player. He has three touchdowns this year. Insane catch radius. Sneaky good route runner. Doesn't look like a dude who would absolutely embarrass you, but he can. He's he's got some talent. On the on the offensive side, the other guy to look out for, I guess their most famous. A player uh, on the offensive side is Travis Etienne, who is Trevor Etienne's brother. Or sorry, Trevor Etienne, who's Travis Etienne's brother. Travis Etienne was a very good running back at Clemson who won a national title there and now is the, I think, starting running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. LOL. His brother, his little brother, Trevor, is on Florida's team and is a very good running back as well. Let's see. Defensively, I think, at least in terms of advanced stats, their best standout player, and I'm going to mess this name up. I'm very sorry. His name is Princely Yuman Mielin. I don't know if anyone has a better take at that because that was bad, and I'm sorry. U-M-A-N-M-I-E-L-E-N. Anyway, he is their highest rated defensive starter. He is an edge rusher at defensive end. He plays the he plays the run very well. He is their sack leader. He already has 12 stop plays this year. Very, very good player. He is a guy that you want to look out for. Team personality-wise, Billy Napier is trying to turn Florida into Wisconsin South. What I mean by that is he wants to play really good defense. He wants to have a offense that can consistently run the ball in a bunch of different ways and then can be explosive over the top with play action and deep passes so far it's been a mixed bag they are a balanced attack of their offensively they're a balanced attack they tend to pass a little bit more than they run i think that they would still say that they are a run-based team they are they run a very low percentage of rpos about 13 percent, but a lot of their rpos turn into runs they are a team that does has kind of a similar to I believe it was Auburn that we talked about this in the preview where they either run the ball or they bomb it. They they don't really have a lot of levels to their offense. So yeah, and so Austin Armstrong is their DC, uh, their defensive coordinator. He was actually a quality control guy at UGA in 2019 before he went to University of Louisiana and then was the DC at Southern Miss before he came to Florida. He is a very UGA influenced defensive coordinator who has had a lot of really good moments this year. Their defense has been up and down, but they run a lot of match coverage. They run, they, they run a lot of stuff that we would sort of visually be like, Oh, that looks like what UGA would do. They're not as good at it as UGA is, but they have, it's a very similarly influenced defense. He, I don't think that it's not far enough to say that he is like a Kirby smart disciple disciple because he was only at UGA for one year, but still he kind of is, a distant relative to that tree. So this is a team 
Florida defensively, they only blitz 28% of the time. And they are a a very man-oriented team. Um, and they run a lot of mixed coverages, but they they run a little bit more man than they run zone. They don't blitz very often. They tend to just like keep it safe. They are defensively pretty bad against deep passes and not that great against play action. That is definitely a mismatch that UGA is going to want to take advantage of because UGA is very good at play action this year. In terms of plays that they run, they they like offensively to run a lot of shallow zone. Um, they run like inside zone, outside zone, and that's good for us because we're way better at defending zone run plays than we are gap run plays. They take deep shots to take advantage of Mertz's arm. They really love like basically all go plays. They they run a lot of like shallow cross, big deep stuff on top of shallow cross. Uh, it's a very Mark Richt kind of. Uh, schematic thing that they do. They run about 41% play action and they've been okay at it. It's not that Mertz is a threat to run, but he is relatively athletic. They almost never run the quarterback, but he is a good, he moves enough to get out of pressure, but not necessarily enough to run the ball. They are, I would say offensively uh, talented, but still probably what we would think of as flawed in the sense that they are a middle of the nation defense or offense in most statistical categories. Basically every statistical category you can find them, they're in the like 50s. So they're like above average. Defensively, they're in the 60s and 70s. So I'd say they're slightly above average offensively, slightly below average defensively. That ends up for a team that tends to be in the 50s and 60s overall in most statistical rankings. And then in our actual like metrics, our power rankings, they tend to be a little bit higher than that because they've had a very good season in terms of results, I think, relative to their ability. But still, this is a team that, at least as far as the stats see it, that UGA should beat handily. So, other than UGA beating them handily, what do we want to see? Yara, Justin, I open it up to you. Okay. We were talking about what do we want to see? What do we want to see out of this game? And I mentioned this a little bit about our our, our boy Brock Bowers in the episode that uh, did not come out. <laughs> that I think that what we will see um, with Brock gone is definitely we're going to see a dip in you know receptions. We're going to see a dip in uh, the you know receiving yards and that sort of thing. But I don't think it will be to any extent that we will be necessarily upset about it. I think the things that we are going to be upset about are the blocking that Brock provides. And so we're going to need to have our tight end core, the folks that are, you know, second, third, fourth string in the tight end room, those folks are going to need to be blocking properly, um, specifically and especially um, when Beck's dropping back. Uh, and on that left-hand side of the offensive line. We've had a lot of issues at, you know, like left tackle, left guard um, this year. Uh, Not a lot of issues, I will say. That feels like too strong. But I will say, you know, that has been a weaker spot because of the rotation of players that have been sitting in that position. So we need to make sure that it's one of those roles, you know, if it's going well, you have nothing to say about it. If it's going poorly, you have a lot to say about it. And I'm hoping that we leave this game not having anything to say about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a cliche that you only talk about 
people who block when they don't do their job, but it is a true one. Yeah. Yara, what do you want to see in this game? Um, I really want to see Peepaw Bobo just show up, be there, be present. And I also want to see, um, like, I also want to see our receivers commit to making up for Brock Bauer's absence, as Justin said. I think we're good in terms of, like, actual receiving. I feel like we have enough depth there. But, and this is, like, again, I, I don't know, I don't really know how much to say about this but like so few people can block like brock can you know and i really want to see our tight ends this is like specifically in our tight end room i really want to see people commit to blocking like brock or better than Brock, just like blocking in general because we're good at mm-hmm. getting our shit we're just not as great at blocking that shit that's my <laughs> cool <laughs> nathan uh, I was the only one who didn't talk about the tight ends at all, so that's fine. I have a couple of things. One, I think that we have to run the damn ball. They're slightly better against the pass than they are against the run. I think we kind of have to do the Southern Wisconsin thing to them, run the ball, and then pass it deep because those are kind of their weaknesses. We have to execute in the red zone. I saw something from Josh over at Dog Stats today that basically said that UGA has just been – below average when it's in the red zone both offensively and defensively this year and i think a lot of that is from just poor execution that we need to work on and then i think we got to do a lot of play action passes i think that this game is going to come down to can we run it enough that we sucker them in on play action passes because they're not very good at defending those and we're very good at running them ultimately i think this is a game where we are more talented and we are good enough that if we bring our B game that we'll win. But if we do what we get a, did against South Carolina or Auburn, we got a pretty good chance of losing. So let's move on to our predictions. The Vegas line for this this week is UGA by 14 and a half points. CBCR2 predicts it as a little bit bigger of a UGA win. We have UGA 32, Florida 17. And this is from a system that doesn't really like UGA, by the way. Anyway. So, Justin, Yara, what are our predictions? Um, I think that, you know, the last few games we've seen Georgia play, they've just kind of come out swinging. And I hope that we keep that going. I hope that that's kind of indicative of a team that's figured their stuff out. And, you know, even the last couple, last game, it was it was mostly without Brock for the most part. You know, it was against a Vanderbilt team, but, you know, how different is this Florida team from Vanderbilt? Don't answer that question. Um, I know it's very different, but yeah, I think that the outcome may be fairly similar for us. Um, that's how I'm going to cross my fingers and hope for. I'm not a religious man, but I will pray on it. Uh, 3110 Georgia at the end of the day, I think. All right. What about you, Yara? What are we thinking? I think 3420. Um, I was going to go higher for florida but maybe i'm being delulu um i think our defense will be okay i think we'll survive inshallah inshallah (laughs) it is the salulu after all yeah that's the salulu delulu anyway i think that this is going to be a game that we sweat in the first half but we ultimately pull away i don't think we're going to have a slow start but i think that florida is just pretty good at some stuff right now they have 
a above average receiving core. We've been okay against the pass. Actually, we've been really good against the pass. We've just been okay compared to how we were in the past. But we've been pretty good against the pass this year, but they have a very good receiving core. I think that it'll be interesting to see just in terms of taking a temperature for the rest of the season, how we perform against this receiving core, because it is not as good as Missouri's and we got to play them in a couple of weeks. But I do think that this is a, probably a game where Florida scores in the twenties. I think that we're going to win 41 to 21. I could see 41, 28, 41, 24, somewhere in there. I think Florida is good enough to score. I think Graham Mertz is pretty good when you can protect him and that they'll keep him upright enough. that he will make some plays. But I also just have started to have faith in this UGA offense. I know that losing Brock Bowers is a huge, huge, huge blow. But I think that Carson Beck is pretty good right now as long as he's not throwing picks. So I think if we can limit Carson Beck to under one and a half picks, we should win this going away. And then anything after that is just, well, we got a problem. So now it's time for the most deranged and I would say highly rated segment. I'm just going to make that up. But the highest rated segment of this podcast, Justin's Porn Corner, or as we like to call it, Who Holds the Leash? (laughs) This is where Justin unleashes unspeakable horrors made by man and machine in a cyborg-like tangle of love and lust. Justin has been programming ChatGPT mm. to write wow. horny poems. So. <laughs> the TLDR. <laughs> yeah, just just in case this is your first comic book, I don't want you to be exposed to this dark ritual that we're about to enact without knowing it. Like, <laughs> I need you to know before we go any farther, I'm going to give you like two seconds to turn off your, your podcast because what's about to happen is some eyes wide shut shit. And if you're cool with that, Hell we'd, yeah. lo- we'd love to have you. But if you're not, this is where you should end. Justin. Yeah, come on in. Uh, all right. So since this, you know, every week I try to give ChatGPT essentially a new challenge. And this challenge was it's on a neutral field, my friend ChatGPT. Can I call you chat? <laughs> all right. Me and my friend chat, we've gone into the tubes of the Internet and we have created uh, something that is is more or less a neutral field version of our porn corner as we have seen it this year and what i mean by that is it's a different format it's a different rhyme scheme it's just a little bit different here and there and so you'll notice that immediately previously we would use five stanzas uh there would be you know a sort of um a hero's arc (laughs) in a lot of ways um and then this time it's a little bit different and so we're going to bring in all the mascots with our good friend, Harry Dog. What's going on with Harry Dog as he goes into Jacksonville? This one is called Jack's Knights, colon, a triangle untwined. In Jacksonville's hum where the nightlife's alive, Harry Dog sipped his drink, feeling the jive. From the bar's far end, two gators made their approach. Albert and Alberta gliding close like a coach. Saw you from afar, Albert began with a grin. Your vibe's infectious. Care to dive in? With a wink and a nod, Alberta chimed in. So sweet. We're looking for fun. Think you can bring the heat? Curiosity peaked, Harry gave a playful nod, venturing with the duo against all odds. But as night's passion unfurled, one thing became clear. Albert's bedroom manners? Not top tier. Alberta and Harry, their chemistry was fire. While Albert, sidelined, grew increasingly dire. Your fault, Albert spat, his pride deeply stung. Yet the night's rhythm had clearly been sung. 
As dawn painted the horizon, Harry took his leave. Alberta's gaze lingered, a silent reprieve. In the heart of Jack's, a tale had been spun of a night's promise and a new day begun. Both Harry and Alberta, in separate ways, did ponder the night's twist and the feelings they held yonder. For in dance of three, sometimes two shine so bright, while the third fades, lost in the night. Snaps! This is my favorite one ever, and that's because I like <laughs> that this one started with Al and Alberta saying... We've been, me and my wife have been watching you from across the bar and we really like your vibe. And we really dig your vibe. Yeah, we, we really, really dig like your vibe. vibe. <laughs> I also really like that it's like the nightlife in Jacksonville in the sweltering heat. Mm-hmm. BB doll, ChatGPT, you clearly don't have a corporeal body that could go to Jacksonville because if you had, you would know that you are too young to be in the nightlife of Jacksonville. <laughs> no one under 45 should yep, be going yep. out at night in Jacksonville. For a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God. All right. I really like that hairy dog cuckolded <laughs> Albert. Oh, yeah. Oops, oops, I'll cuck. <laughs> but, you know, we don't want to yuck any yums. And if Albert wants to be cucked, yeah. that's fine. It didn't it, sound I don't think like Albert he wanted, wanted to be, be cucked. cucked. <laughs> he did not want to uh, be cucked. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I... I wanted to go out with my friend chat and create a poem that played with, you know, some, some obvious memes, but also, uh-huh. uh, embarrassed our, our, our enemies to lovers friend, Albert, just a little bit. Right. I you mean, know? I just wanted to play with that a little to be bit. Sex positive on this show, but sometimes Absolutely. it is funny when our suited mascot makes your suited mascot's wife cheat on him. So, Mr. Steelio Girl. Yeah, Mr. Steelio Girl. Become Mr. Steelio Girl. Jason Derulo. Anyway, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard here today, <laughs> you can find us on social media at Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, at all. The worst amicus brief in the world. At Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to contact us, you can hit us up on DMs there, or you can find us at G- on email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, you can do it two ways. First, you can give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever pod- fine podcasts are served. And second, you can support us financially with just a couple of bucks for just for just the price of a cup of coffee each month. You can join our <laughs> burgeoning community of UGA weirdos. And we think that you'll enjoy it. For $1 a month, you can get on our Discord, get access to our live feeds for a little bit more money. And even more money gets you access to our show notes and all sorts of wild goodies. So we will catch you this weekend in Duval. But until then, Duval. Part- Go, Go dogs. dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>